this is the G Truth, and boy, I got some stuff to go over today. I got the Astros and Nationals Game Seven, the pitching decision to put in Will Harris instead of Garrett Garrett Cole, and not putting Garrett Cole in at all. I got my top of the, my top of the line like I usually do every single week now, and I got the Warriors. What their plan is? What what, what their plan should be going forward with Curry? being out with the broken left hand. But before I can get to that, I don't really have any music that I've been listening to. I've been kind of just listening to my playlist, my compilation of uh, my own music, and some of the things that I've mentioned on this podcast before. And I also, you know, I've been, you know, been pretty... I've been laid back, relaxing. I watched the uh, Nationals-Astros game on Tuesday, which is yesterday when I'm recording this, but Tuesday when this goes up on no, Wednesday, and when, I, when this goes up, it'll be Friday, so two days ago, then, uh, and it was, it was really, really, it was really, really fun, um, a lot of energy built up, I was hoping, well, I thought the Astros were going to win, but I was, you know, I, I wouldn't be mad if the Nationals won, and they did win, so that's really cool to see, congratulations to the Nationals on winning their first ever World Series, and also, in general, happy Halloween, even even though this is going up the day after Halloween. So with that out of the way, I'm going to go into a mini segment within my intro. Just a mini, mini segment to talk about. And that is the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving. Not to be the dead horse here, but come on. It's still going on. And I, and I love Kyrie. I really, really like him. I liked him a whole bunch when he was in Cleveland and Boston. I really like his game. I like his game style, I like his handles, I like his shooting. But we always get this drama with him. We always get this uh, internal stress inside the organization. And we saw that with the Celtics. And the same thing is happening in Brooklyn. I, I mentioned it in a previous last episode, actually, uh, with the uh, mood swings and all that going on, uh, lack of communication with the team, stuff like that, just drama and news seems to follow him around. And I've also seen the way that uh, he plays in, well, when he was with Boston and now with Brooklyn, where he can stuff the stat sheet completely. He had 50 points his first game. But guess what? They don't get the win. The top five scorers thus far, by, by the time this is going to go up, when I'm recording this, uh, fifth is Siakam, fourth is Luka Doncic, Third is Damian Lillard. Second is Carl Anthony Towns. First is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is first. But what does he not have in common with the other four? A winning record. Kyrie Irving is the only one, and he's the leading scorer, and he does not have a winning record as of right now. And yes, it's early. It is early. And the Nets, I'm pretty sure, I believe, are going to be a playoff team. Seventh, eighth, maybe, if I'm being generous, sixth seed. But Kyrie needs to change the way that he plays basketball just a bit. Instead of looking for himself to score, he has to look for others to get more involved, but in a more natural way. Not so much the Russell Westbrook, I'm going to drive to the paint and just hand it off to Steven Adams when he was on the Thunder, or now when he's handing it off to Clint Capella. I, I need Kyrie Irving to do more. Just more. Get people more involved. Pass the ball around. Don't go iso ball. It's going to hurt the team. So that's my little spiel on 
the whole Nets Kyrie Irving thing. It was supposed to be quick, and it was. But now I can hop into the main topics of today, which is the Astros and Nationals Game 7, my top of the line, and the Warriors' future. So, let me start off the Astros and Nationals Game 7 World Series segment by, first off, congratulations, Nationals. This is your first ever World Series championship, and that is great. I mean, you guys have been through a whole bunch of stuff. It's been a tough road this year. From Bryce Harper leaving town, going to the Phillies, to going on an, on an incredible run while having a losing record, and somehow sneaking into the playoffs as a wild card team, and then beating the Dodgers with Howie Kendrick's grand slam home run, to Scherzer not being able to play at all in Game 6 of the World Series because he had some neck tightness that was really bad where he couldn't even turn his head the slightest bit to winning it all in Game 7 when it mattered the most. And if you're a huge Nationals fan, or if, or if you're just not rooting for the Nationals at all, you got to give the Nationals credit, though. you got to give them credit. Their guys came to play, whereas the Astros guys did not. Howie Kendrick kept on making big plays at big moments with that two-run home run in the seventh seventh inning, I remember. As well as, like I mentioned before, that walk-off grand slam home run against the Dodgers. And then Soto, Juan Soto's been great for this whole series and for really the whole playoffs. Same with Rendon and Eaton as well. You have Scherzer and Strasburg who have been tremendous in their pitching throughout this whole playoffs. And Strasburg eventually winning the World Series MVP as well. And Corbin also had a great Game 7. Their guys came to play. And on the other side, the Astros guys simply did not. They had their opportunities to win. To win. Verlander has yet to have won a World Series. He's 0-6. He has, he, has he has the most World Series losses without a win. Six win. No, six losses. My bad. Six losses, zero wins. As well as Bregman and Altuve have not really been consistent this whole World Series, actually. And not only them, but the whole team. The whole team. Especially with runners in scoring position. Which really hurts them. It really does. They were 1-8 for that whole Game 7. And, they, and when I was going back and watching the game, and when I was watching the game live, too, I said... That second inning, they really should have put up more points against Scherzer, especially since they put up a stat line also that Scherzer allows most of his runs in the first and second inning. And then after that, he shuts it down. He shuts it down. So they really should have had more runs in the second inning with two guys on base, first and second, and zero outs. But then they have that messed up bunt by Chirinos and then ground out and lined out. So missed opportunities right there. And after going up two two zip, they only had two hits. They only had two hits. So they didn't really give themselves any break there or any real chance to to really come back and win after going down three to two and eventually four to two and then six to two and losing. And also, not only although although the Nationals did do this. 
the Astros did not take advantage of home field advantage. And also the Nationals did not, but still, Game 7, you got to take advantage of home field. You got to take advantage of home turf. You got to. You got to. But now I'm going to do a complete 180 turn. I was dogging on the on the Astros right there, and they didn't take advantage of their opportunities. And that is true. That is true. Their batters did not show up after going up to zip in the fifth inning. Yes, that is true. But they still had a 2-0 lead. And Granky, Zach Granky was rolling. He was doing great. He had four one, two, three innings with several of those uh, bats coming right to him where it ended up just being ground outs to him. And he would throw it to first. And it was spectacular because it was all instinct and the whole breakdown of how how his pitching went right into a fielder's stance. It was spectacular. And he had only allowed one hit until Rendon's home run. And then he walked Soto, and then he got replaced. And that's when it got interesting. That's when it really got interesting. What do you do? Do you put in your actual relief pitchers, or do you put in... Garrett Cole, your ace, your guy, your guy, your main guy that has gotten you here, your your probably your AL Cy Young winner. I say you put in Garrett Cole even on two days rest. And AJ Hinch was going down that way too. He had Garrett Cole warming up in the bullpen, and I was excited because I thought that Garrett Cole was going to come out there, dominate the competition, and the Astros were going to win. I thought it was going to be like that, but it didn't happen that way. Instead, A.J. Hinch put in Will Harris, and I was stunned. I was shocked. I was confused. I was yelling at the people in my lounge, why are they putting Will Harris in? This is a bad decision. Putting Garrett Cole in, I was told, you know, maybe he's saving Garrett Cole as a closer, but I don't, my, my explanation is you put your best guy out there and at the same time as soon as I saw Will Harris going up there I I got really nervous for the Astros because the night before game six he only threw five pitches in that game and you want to know why because he gave up a two run home run to Rendon in the top of the seventh and then what happened in game seven also top of the seventh where they put in Will Harris again instead of Garrett Cole. What happened? What happened is that he threw five pitches again in the top of the seventh, and on the second pitch to Howie Kendrick, it was a two-run home run deja vu right there. And in my mind, I was like, wow, that might just be game. And it was game right there. And I... I don't know what AJ Hinch was thinking. Maybe he was thinking or having flashbacks to Clayton Kershaw going uh, as, as a relief pitcher and allowing back-to-back home runs. Maybe he was thinking, ooh, Garrett Cole has not done this since college. Will he allow back-to-back home runs? Maybe he thinks that, like, like my friend was thinking when I was watching the game, that I can save Garrett Cole as a closer now since Zach Greinke has taken us all the way to the seventh inning, and I did not expect that. But here's my rebuttal to that. Garrett Cole is not 
Clayton Kershaw. He he actually shows up in the playoffs when it matters the most. And when, when he's on two days rest, I don't care. It's game seven. Game seven, you gotta put him in. This is this is potentially and most likely his last year with the Astros. Because he's a free agent and he's gonna get a buttload of money. So if I'm AJ Hinge, I put in Garrett Cole no matter what. I'm putting him in as soon as Zach Grinke's out. And that did not happen. And also, like I mentioned before, it seemed to me that AJ Hinge had that game plan of after Grinke, I'm gonna put in Garrett Cole. But then it seems to me that he also switched that game plan as soon as Zach Greinke went all the way to seven. Because then he's thinking, oh, all right, I originally may, maybe thought that Greinke was going to go to four or five innings and then I have Garrett Cole takes me to seven or eight and then I put in my actual relief pitchers and then I close. Boom. Done deal. But with Greinke going to seven, maybe he switched up his... I think he probably switched up his game plan a bit and had Garrett Cole just sit. Because he was warming up for a bit, but then he just sat. So to that, I say stick to your game plan. Don't overthink it because you just overthought it and you lost the game right there. You got to put Garrett Cole in. And if you do, who knows? I think Astros win in that case. So yes, I completely agree. And two things can be true. The Astros did have tons of opportunities to win this game. And yes, the Washington Nationals were by far the more complete, better team throughout that whole series. But in the end, this game came down. This whole series, in the end, came down to that pitching change in the top of the seventh. And I think that A.J. Hinch made the wrong move and should have put in Garrett Cole. Alright, with that being said, I'm going to take a little break, and as soon as I get back from that break, we are going to be going over the top-of-the-line picks that I have with this upcoming Week 9 in the NFL, as well as where do the Warriors go from here with Curry having that broken left hand. And we are back, and I am going to go on to my top-of-the-line spread predictions for Week 9 in the NFL. Last week, I was 2-3, and three, but overall, I am 9-6 and six when it comes to my spread predictions for top of the line. If you ask me, that's pretty good, but it could obviously be a lot better, which is why I'm going to go for 4-1 four and one this weekend. So, to start it off, I'm going to, once again, do an Eagles game right here. Bears at Eagles. The spread is at 4.5. I'm going to take the Eagles on this. And again, with the Eagles, well, I've been on fire with them, first of all. And also with the Eagles, their defense has gone healthier and has been getting healthier. And I said the exact same thing uh, when they played against the Bills last week. Again, their defense, although it's not fully at strength or fully altogether, they're not facing a great offense led by Mitchell Trubisky. They're not. So there's only so much greatness that they have, or they only have to be so great to stop the Bears' offense. And again, the key here is just the Eagles' offense maintaining the ball, doing what it needs to do, scoring, and not turning the ball over. It's really, really simple. It's the exact same formula as they played again, played with against the Bills. Do what you need to do, 
Don't let the Bears score because they're not a great offense. Same with the Bills. And don't turn the ball over. It's as simple as that. I take the Eagles right here. Next, I have the Colts at the Steelers. The spread is at one. I'm having the Colts right here, minus one. The Colts' offense has been on and off this whole season, really. But I believe that this week, their offense will be on against the Steelers. The Steelers are coming off a short week, and that involves a Monday night football game against the Dolphins, where the score was unnecessarily close for the first half. It it looked pretty bad for the, for the Steelers. And there were memes floating around the around the whole internet about, oh, the Steelers are really going to lose to the Dolphins. And then the Dolphins remembered, oh, wait, we're tanking. And then they snapped back to their old ways of not winning. And Mason Rudolph has had his moments throughout this whole season, but come on, come on. This Colts defense is something else that's really, really good. And it's going to dominate the Steelers team I'm taking the Colts at a one-point spread, minus one. And then this one-point spread seems like just too low for me. I I expect it to go up by the time uh, th this video is published. Next, I have the Lions at the Raiders. Now, the Raiders are actually favored here. We have the spread by two points here. Now, that's interesting. That's very interesting. And I can see why. Although, although the Lions have averaged over their past five games 20 points per game, which means that they're very, very capable of scoring. But that's not the issue here. The issue with the Lions is their defense. The Raiders have scored 24 points in each, exactly 24 each in, in each of their past four games. And against this Lions defense, it could very well be much more. But to me... It was going to look like a shootout between Matt Stafford and Derek Carr. And so this game comes down to the quarterback and who the kicker is, really. To me, it's pretty simple. I take the Lions here, plus two. Stafford has 34 game-winning drives. Derek Carr has half of that at 17. And I'm going to take Prater, Matt Prater, over Daniel Carlson. I just will. I just will. So I have the Lions here plus two. The fourth game that I have is the Browns at the Broncos. Now this is pretty easy. I'm taking the Browns here. The spread's at four. I'm taking the Browns minus four. The Broncos are, are going to be playing with the backup quarterback. And unless he's Gardner Minshew, who just rapidly dominates the league. But you, you get what I'm saying. Who does a really, really good job at being quarterback. I don't think that that backup quarterback for the Broncos is going to be able to overcome this um, Cleveland Browns pass rush and defense because that defense and pass rush is amazing. So the Browns should win this pretty convincing, should win this pretty convincingly in the blowout as long as they do not shoot themselves in the foot like they have been doing for the past couple weeks with penalties and turnovers. And overall, this should be a good ego boost and a good morale boost for the Cleveland Browns, especially with their remaining schedule looking pretty easy. They have Denver this week, and then they have Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Miami, Pittsburgh again, Cincinnati, Arizona, Baltimore, and Cincinnati to finish it off. They should win most of those games, at most losing two games. So they should end with a winning record.
in the last game, always Sunday night football. The Patriots against the Ravens. This should be very, very interesting. The Patriots are actually favored by minus 3.5 points. So, three, three, point, three and a half points. That's what the spread is. I have the Patriots minus three and a half. I do. I do. And yes, I know. The argument against the Patriots is they have not faced anyone yet. Yes, their defense has historical crazy numbers. But who, who have they faced, really? They face people within or teams within their own division. And they played the Cleveland Browns who have been shooting themselves in the foot for this whole season. And you can also say that the Patriots have not faced an offense just like the Ravens, who do an exceptional job of running the ball with Mark Ingram, as well as Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson, at times, does a great job of being a really nice dual-threat quarterback, airing it out. However, I can also flip that around uh, on the Ravens and say that the Ravens have not seen defense like the Patriots. And the last time that the Ravens have played a legitimate defense, or a decent defense at that, was against the Cleveland Browns where they got blown out. So I'm sticking, I'm sticking with the Patriots. I trust Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, who is 14-10 on Sunday Night Football, to walk out of Baltimore with a win by more than three and a half points. I just do. Now, definitely this will be a test of how good, how legitimate the Patriots defense is, but I think that they'll pass with flying covers and they, with flying colors, there we go, and that they should prevail in the end with a win by more than three and a half points. So that is my top of the, that's my top of the line picks. I have the Patriots, uh, Favorite on their spread, as well as the Browns and Colts and the Eagles. And the Lions are the only one that I am going against the spread with. Alright, now I'm going to hop on to my last topic of the day. And that is the Warriors. The Warriors are 1-3 in three right now. And it got worse with news that Curry broke his left hand on a pretty scary fall. Although this obviously sucks for the Warriors, I think that this could actually bode well for the Warriors and their future. Now, they weren't going to do anything crazy this season, and the way that they were, especially with the way that, they, especially with the way that, I cannot speak, especially with the way that they were playing with absolutely no rebounding, no defense, they allowed the Suns to put up 70 plus points in, in a half. They have no rebounding, no defense. And they really only, only had two legitimate scorers in D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry. And now that's just one legitimate scorer in D'Angelo Russell with Curry being out. And they also have some young players and Draymond Green. Not a lot to work with there. Now, obviously, I thought that they were gonna I thought that they were gonna make the playoffs, but I thought that, that I thought that they were gonna be a seventh, eighth, sixth seed. And when you turn that into draft picks. Probably not very high, not really lottery picks. But I think that this is going to be an overall reboot of that roster. Now, I do not mean that they're going to completely dismantle the roster and implode it and just say, boom, we're done, we're trading Curry, we're trading Draymond, we're trading Clay. No, I don't mean that. 
But I think that's more of preparing for next season completely. First of all, they can really scope out and examine their young guys, their young talent, and see who they really have that can make a difference, that can make an impact on the game with Curry, Clay, and Draymond at full health. Their roster without Clay or Curry, including Draymond, is an average of 23.6 years old. That is one of the youngest, if not the youngest, rosters in the whole league. So it's really about seeing who they have on that team and who can make an impact on their future and who they should really keep for their future with Curry, Clay, and Draymond. Along with that, secondly, they can also look at some D'Angelo Russell trades where they can get a couple picks for him or maybe a a center or power forward who can rebound and play defense along with a bench player or a pick or two. And the third thing also is that they can get a high draft pick because they're obviously not going to do well with D'Angelo Russell, only D'Angelo Russell leading the charts so that so they can get a high lottery draft pick, and from there they can probably draft a playmaker, or if they really, really need to and haven't gotten any trades going down or don't sign any big-time free agents, they can draft not a playmaker, but a center, a power forward, someone who can help them on the defensive end as well with getting rebounds, because that's their main problem since they go small ball so much. And the fourth big thing, this is the biggest thing, is that you get Clay Thompson and Steph Curry completely 100% healthy as well as rested. Completely rested. And that's the biggest thing, fatigue. So, all in all, if they do those four things that I mentioned, scope out their young players, possibly trade D'Angelo Russell's D'Angelo Russell for picks uh, or a starting big or a good bench player or some more picks. The third thing being draft really really well get a high draft pick get a playmaker or get a or get a center get a big and fourth make sure that clay thompson and steph curry come back fully healthy and well rested if they do those four things and they do it correctly they can have a starting lineup of steph curry clay thompson Draymond green and possibly two free agents or trade acquisitions or draft picks but that's a bit less likely of, ha- of them having rookies in the starting lineup. So most likely trade acquisitions or free agents that they sign at the power forward and center spot, and maybe small forward spot if they slide Draymond over to the power forward, but primarily being a space, a space maker as well as a shooter. Someone who spaces the floor and can shoot the ball pretty well and who is big as well as a center who is pretty big, can rebound, and play defense. Does not need to be a high-volume scorer. And that gives slight vibes, if, if they carry that out right, to the team that they carried out way back then with Curry, Clay, Dre, and David Lee, and Andrew Bogut. Very good defensive team and very good offensive team as well. So like I said, this is a, re- this is a reboot. A reboot of talent on that roster and uh, with the evaluation of who they really have as well as a reboot 
of the structure and the roster of players, which bringing in future uh, free agents this upcoming year, as well as getting potentially a high draft pick, as well as of fatigue, most importantly, with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, and maybe Draymond Green. We'll see how that goes. So, in the end, Curry's broken left hand just maybe, just might be a blessing in disguise. So that'll wrap it up for this this episode. I think it went fairly, fairly pretty well. Uh, we talked about the Warriors' future, the top-of-the-line picks that I have, as well as the Astros and Nationals Game 7 World Series. How that ended off, what I thought about the pitching change in the 7th inning. Anyways, that does it. Stay safe. Happy Halloween. And... Make sure, most importantly, that you give feedback. I would love that. And I'm thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Peace out.